Well, the one question that actually I got most from like BuzzFeed staff and um, and the internet was was why not use Snapchat? I don't have a good answer for that. Um, okay. This is the middle with Anthony Weiner, unplugged. Welcome to episode ten of the Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right, and try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. Well, here it is, the last podcast of the year. This week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You may have heard about the curious case of George Santos, the Long Island and Queens congressman who was not what he appeared to be. Well, yesterday, I talked about it as I guest hosted the James Golden Show at 4 o'clock. I'm doing that all this week and urge you to tune in. But take a listen, and when, when we get back... We'll have some closing thoughts for 2022. The funny thing happened on the way to the forum, as the old movie said. Just to reset the uh, the bidding, uh, yesterday we heard from George Santos. You've been hearing a lot about it on the radio today, a lot about it in the national media. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the background of the story, by now a lot of people already know it. He ran for Congress and won this year. Uh, it was a district that runs from Nassau County, parts of Queens, used to be represented by Tom Swazi. It was a mild to mid-sized upset. You know, we have this red wave here in New York that they didn't have in the rest of the country. In fact, if you look at the House of Representatives, it is in control of Republicans because of the Democrats here, here in New York combined with Lee Zeldin. And um, so this guy, George Santos, won this year. To see if an idea, he lost to his predecessor by about 12 and a half points. It was a mild to mid-size up, upset. And as it turned out, after the fact, we found out he lied about a bunch of stuff, his education, his jobs, his religion, his grandparents being in the Holocaust. Even made up his stories about his employees being victims of the Pulse nightclub shooter. And after being found out, he came clean, sort of. Um, and in a crazy twist of fate and timing, he came clean, at least in part, to me. And it's a bit of a story about how that came to pass. Now, a few people have tweeted online and, and mentioned online that, oh, my God, what it, is this irony? Is this just a crazy decision by George Santos? What is Why is Anthony Weiner involved in the story? I'll tell you the story. First of all, the credit goes to John Katzmatidis, you know, um, I've been filling in all the week from four to five, and then at five o'clock, John comes in. I get sometimes I'm invited to be on John's show. He has a panel; it always includes a Democrat or two. He wants to get different perspectives. Sometimes they have me on just to make fun of me, but that's another story. But I got an, an opportunity to kind of, since I was in early to prepare for my show, I'm filling in some very big shoes here. I got a chance to see how they prepare that show, and Lydia Serrano, who is who's his, his great assistant on that show is like actually, you know, like the co-host almost. They're talking about who to have on as guests and kind of almost on the spur of the moment, John says, um, we should get George Santos on. He reaches in, takes out his phone and invites him to come on. He showed me the text. I don't think I'm confiding any great secrets here. And in a one word answer, Santos responds, yes. Now at this point, Santos had not done any interviews at all. We were going to be the first one. He was sitting down 
almost simultaneously with the New York Post, but we had it first. And um, since it was a holiday and folks weren't around, as part of the panel just to sit in with John, was I was going to sit in, just kind of have be, you know, just well, part of the amen chorus, maybe throw in questions now and again. But I said to him specifically, and Lito confirmed this, I said, I don't think I should ask the questions. It's just too much. I mean, I have been in this in the situation myself, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. Um, and so it was John that, that nailed And I said, as I went and I sat down at 4 o'clock, and in my show yesterday, I went through the whole Santo story. And I pointed out all the inaccuracies, and I also took the position that I continue to hold today, that he should be seated, that the voters get the last say, that opponents get to make the case against you, the press gets to look into your sub, constituents can look online, and then once voters vote, they vote. Um, that doesn't mean if you committed a crime, you, you, don't, you, know, you can't do something to get expelled from Congress, but you should be seated. So he came on and, you know, I want to look past a little bit past his answers. Uh, and because to summarize, they were apologies, it seems to me, somewhat without contrition. They, you know, he would go immediately from apology to, to blaming journalists. He would say he was sorry about doing something and then explain that, boy, they're picking on me for doing it. And I want to say that I don't think the cliche about politics, about politics and lies is true. You know, we hear the idea, you know, there are politicians who've been caught in lies, but I think they are what's called the exception that proves the rule. So much of what politicians do is in public and has a wider and more intense fact check that goes on. When you stand up and say something, you've got people who are running off, they see it on the internet, their opponents, just the same way with a campaign. You have reporters that cover you, that fact check. When you lie on a resume at work, if you're getting a job at a bank, you have a handful of people who might or might not check it. If you lie on the background on a political resume, you're, you have what's called a campaign and someone is going to find out about it. You have dozens of citizen journalists out there trying to find out about it. I mean, do politicians say things that turn out to be wrong? Yes. Do they say a, something is in a bill which isn't actually in the bill? Yeah, sometimes that happens. Do they say things that, for effect that are not literally true? You know, the border is open. I mean, yeah, that happens. But after listening to George Santos, um, I'm reminded of my own situation. I mean, they were very different lives, um, but a near, but a very similar, almost nearly identical feeding frenzy. And um, I heard a lot and saw a lot of his public disclosure, particularly an interview he did on city and state, um, and the calls that he and the call he did with us. The disclosure was kind of similar. Um, it doesn't work if you're being truthful as a political maneuver. If you feel, you know, if you feel that you have done nothing wrong um, and you just want to open the books and answer any questions about it, sometimes it does, like just, you know, just telling it exactly how it is. But if you're trying to figure out how I push back against Democrats, how I convince my constituents I'm a good guy, how I try to make sure that Kevin McCarthy doesn't try to throw me out, who I try to, you know, push back on the New York Times – if you're hiding secrets about yourself and you know you are, 
um, trying to decide what to say and how to say it to satisfy reporters or even your constituents is just too difficult. That's what I learned. When I, when I finally decided to come clean, you know, for those of you, I mean, a lot of people, I realize this is an old story now. I try, I sent an inappropriate picture to someone that I was involved with online. I sent it through Twitter at a time when, <laughs> this is so, this is even, be, this is before a lot of people signed. It used to be when you were sending a direct tweet to someone, like a message, you had to put D in front of the tweet in the same line that you would put tweet. So I forgot to do that. The picture went out. I denied it was me. I said it was hacked. I was lying. Um, I was lying. I denied it. I said I was hacked. And the story unraveled. So I decided to come clean at a press conference. But the truth didn't really set me free because the purpose was to kind of let me slide, not to let me free, not to free me from the burden of this. I watch my interviews in the press conference from that time, and it feels like an out-of-body experience. It feels like I'm watching another person. And, you know, you know, I got a whole bunch of calls on Friday when I was talking about my addiction and my recovery and whatever, a whole bunch of people calling in and sharing their stories. And maybe people who struggle will, will recognize this, that, you know, if you're one of Clear the decks. The first thing you have to do is clear your own head. And watching George Santos, it doesn't seem that he has. It seems that he's still trying to figure out a way um, to tell a story that will allow him to continue to, to move forward in his political career. Now, people would say to me, even today on the street, people say to me, oh, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. If you just tell the truth, people will forgive you. Well, no, that's not obviously not always the case with me you know i had so much stuff going on if i would have you know i had so much stuff going on at once so much was going on i was in a state of meltdown um but i can tell you that as it relates to george santos and i don't like to i'm not going to diagnose him from afar but it seems like he's still struggling he really does i really have i really have some empathy for him i have grace for him um 800-848-9222-800-948 wabc um, and when, when I watch him, I see someone who is trying to have it a lot of different ways. And there, you know, there are all kinds of different versions of his story that get us to that. Um, like I'll give you, I'll give you an, an, an example, Rich, I don't know. Do you have, do you have cut two ready to go? Look at the end of the day, I campaigned on issues and I campaigned to deliver results those promises still stand I, for everybody who's ever interacted with me. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. I've never, ever uh, not done something I said I'd set out to do. Well, the problem with that kind of an answer, and I don't want to pile on, I really don't, is that's exactly what you're accused of, not doing stuff that you said you did. Maybe it's the opposite of what you're accused of. I don't know. But to, be, to say words like that, and not recognize that you, you can't say that, oh, I, you shouldn't believe me about this, but you should believe me about that. The whole element of developing and rebuilding trust is this idea of getting all of the answers out there. And I did that in a, in a, in a therapeutic setting. I did that when I was in, in rehab. And still, it's, you know... And I've said to people if they if they wanted to call in and talk about my recovery, if they wanted to call and make 
fun of me, if they wanted to call and call me names, uh, you know, part of it, that's part of, that's part of this process. Um, and for him as a politician, it's difficult to not think that what the kind of, the kind of disclosure he's doing, the kind of openness that he's being is still limited. And I just hope that I just hope he gets his arms around that idea. And I did not get that. It was long after I left office when I got into rehab and I got into recovery and I started to realize the idea of saying, you know, it's the fifth step, admitting, you know, to yourself and at least one other person, the exact natures of your wrong, this whole idea of like, that's part of starting your road back. Now, do re- are reporters going to let you get away with it? No, they're going to be mad at you anyway. Are constituents going to be mad at you? Yes. But I think you've got to break the situation up. One has to be, here's everything that I said that was wrong with complete contrition, not blaming anyone else. I've reached, I mean, I don't, I'm not perfect at this, but I'm responsible for what I went through. That's my response. I, and I'm, you know, there is a saying, and we've got to go to a break, but there's, there's a saying that you, know, you come to regret nothing. And part of it is that you, well, let's put the right pronoun in this. Part of it is that I, you know, came to believe that, you know, all of the stuff that happened to me, including prison, including losing my, my wife, including losing my jobs, was, was to bring me to this precise point where now I'm talking about someone else going through this and trying to grant them a little bit of grace. So that was something. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. And I have to say it caps a pretty amazing year. I know usually at this part of the show, we do listener mail. We do a message that's come from at Rep Wiener or WienerWABC at gmail.com or someone who posts on the Facebook page. But I want to use this opportunity, the last show of the year, to send you a message. You've helped make this podcast a success. You've helped by listening to it, subscribing and spreading the word. You've also listened to The Middle, which is the radio show I do at 2 o'clock. The ratings on that have been doing very well. And generally speaking, you have listened over the past year as I have gone from someone who talked for a living to someone who now talks on radio and podcasts for a living. It has been a learning process for me. It has been extraordinarily fun, and I really am grateful for the folks at WABC and the Red Apple Podcast Network, particularly John and Margot Katzmatidis, for giving me the opportunity. But none of this would have been possible if not for all of you tuning in and lending me your ear from time to time. I'm very grateful for that. And you have heard me talk from time to time about the power that gratitude has in my life. And I just want to say that I'm adding all of you to my gratitude list about 2022. Check back in in 2023. I'm sure it's going to be another interesting year. And with that, this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.